Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, friends of beyond the binary, and all my patron peeps, uh, keep the pa- peep, patron peep party a popping, uh, but in the most lulling, soothing way. Uh, thanks, patrons. Uh, hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do as a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. Uh, what I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, thoughts, uh, feelings, uh, physical sensations, you know, your body's doing something, your emotions are churning. Maybe somebody started doing laundry at like 1030 and you say, Dude, what, what, the, what are you doing that for? Uh, or maybe you said, why, why didn't I start doing laundry? It could be laundry related, may not be. More than likely it's not. Uh, that just could be me. You see, did I leave the laundry in there? Uh, or what about the one where it's like uh, you check the laundry at 6, somebody's got their dried or wet laundry. You say, okay, check it at 7. Okay, they should have been home. for. They started the laundry when they left for work. Uh, eight, uh, nope. Uh, nine, you say, okay, now it's cut. Is nine, is 9 p.m. starting laundry if you live in an apartment building uh, cutoff time? Uh, to start it, that was a trick question, definitely. Uh, it should be finished. I don't know, finished by 10? I don't, anyway, I'm off tangent already. Uh, what was I going to say? Well, it's a podcast to take your mind off stuff. I create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake. Uh, any of that stuff, like I said. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use a lulling, soothing, a creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders. Obviously, I'm going to get distracted and talk about stuff and like uh, rambling. I think that's what that's called. And I don't know if I do any soliloquies. I'll have to look that up. That's a that's a tough word to say, but it's it, like a solilo- soliloquy. When you can say it, uh, it's not bad. I don't know what, where this is coming from, but you know, when I sometimes when I say a word, it, it puts an image in my mind. That, like I would like to be lying in a canoe. That's what soliloquy makes me think of. And maybe if I, it'd be nice if I could play the banjo. I would be playing the banjo lying down in a canoe, in a river or a bog or a swamp. Uh, a river, you know, a, like a, gent- a river that's barely moving. Uh, and I'd be playing a song. I don't know about, I don't know if it'd be a soliloquy or a song about soliloquy or about the beauty of, the beauty of soliloquy. That's what it would be. Also, that's a pat, you know, that's pending. That's another possible book uh, that may never come out one day on Gingerbread Press. Uh, what did I say? The beauty of soliloquy, and maybe one with solitude, solitude and soliloquy. Uh, the the beauty of soliloquy companion. Uh, there you go. Two two for one there. Oh, if you're new though, sorry about that. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm here to take your mind off stuff, to keep you company here in the night. Uh, I go off topic. I'm here to be your boyfriend. And let me see if I can explain structurally. Here's what to expect. The show starts with about four minutes of business. That's how we keep over 650 plus archived episodes free. Uh, so thank you for checking that out. The sponsors and all that stuff are supporting the show. If you're new, you know, check the show and see if you like it first. Uh, 
So thank you for listening to that. And then we have an intro, which we started. Intros are usually around 12 to 14 to 15 to 11 to 16 minutes or so. And it's a show within a show where I talk about, uh, like, I don't know, so, like sometimes I get stuff pops in my brain, soliloquies, soliloquies, uh, canoes. How about lollipops? Uh, I wonder if lollipops and soliloquies are related. Uh, they do, I don't know. Uh, but so I, the intro is where I kind of ideally, the intro is in a perfect world. The intro would be about four minutes if it wasn't a sleep podcast. It'd be a bit like the teaser. Where I say, this is it, the podcast to put you to sleep. And then I would like count down, like uh, if it was a podcast that didn't work, but but, but sold for $25 an episode, it would say, like I say, this is it, the podcast to put you to sleep, uh, 10. Now, and then I'd snap my fingers. I'd say, you know, you're in a canoe, you're gently rocking. A banjo plays in the distance. Uh, you get a banjo is in your hand. A lollipop is uh, in your mouth, and a soliloquy is on the tips of your lips. Uh, you're in perfect solitude. And as I count down from ten, you'll be asleep. Uh, uh, please uh, send your payments. You know, then they'd say, hey, by the way, if you want to finish this episode, uh, send twenty nine ninety five to Battle Creek, Michigan. And all that stuff. Uh, but this podcast a little bit different. It has that stuff because... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It has all that extra stuff. Like so, the intro is where I try to explain what the podcast is because it's not a guru-based podcast. It's not a quick fix or an instant fix. It's a friend, a friendly voice here to keep you company and to bring a little bit of silliness and levity to bedtime. And to, to, to say, hey, well, I could listen to this or whatever, you know, say, well, let me listen to Scoots. He's not really making a whole lot of sense, but he kind of is. So Liloquy, is it's got that lull in the middle there. And Scoots's tones are, are, he says they're lulling and soothing and creak dulcet tones. And what could have more pointless meanders than a river uh, when you're lying in a canoe and you know it's like an old, old river, so you say, well, I'm just going to kick back in the canoe and look at the sky and listen and hold this banjo and enjoy my lollipop. Uh, yeah, so, okay, so the, that's the intro is where I try to explain what the podcast is. Use a metaphor or something barely resembling a metaphor. In this case, uh, a sol- sol- solitude, the solitude of soliloquies and banjo playing, banjo playing while having a lollipop. Uh, and maybe you could sit, maybe that'd be another kind of, form, maybe that could be a good way to sing with a banjo because you have something in your mouth, your voice would sound a little different. Uh, maybe try, start with a cover of uh, Ain't No Hole in the Wash Tub and see, see where it goes from, you know, Emmett Otter. Who's your favorite banjo player? Yeah, Emmett Otter. Oh, did Emmett Otter play the banjo, or was that somebody else? Was that the his friend with the mustache? Yeah, the beaver, whatever it was. Uh, okay, moving on. So that's the intro. Then there's a story. Tonight's our uh, episodic modular uh, with with a, just a little spice of cereal d- dashed on top of it. And uh, it's a story, bedtime story to keep you company. Pretty dense uh uh, but rich with uh, dreamlike imagery, you, you know, according to that's what it says on the tin, tonight's tin. 
Uh, so the story will be there about 45, 50 minutes, and then we'll have some thank yous at the end. Between the intro and the story is uh, like another sponsor that helps keep the show go- uh, going. And that's about it for the, uh, the, the, that's how the show, or the structure of the show, oh, how the show works. We've got, I have no idea. You know, I'm just floating in a canoe in my own mind. Uh, but stru- oh, structurally, so, but here's the thing. You don't need to listen to me. Just imagine, and actually that would be an ideal moment. If you were kicked back in a canoe and you had a lollipop or you were really feeling good, like the perfect temperature, you could like, there's so many things to listen to. You could be listening to the sounds of the water. Uh, maybe there's birds, maybe there's insects, maybe you're playing the banjo, or maybe someone else in the distance is playing the banjo. Or maybe it's an echo of your banjo. I don't know, maybe the banjo, and you say, well, is someone really playing the banjo, or am I imagining it? Uh, and then you're maybe you're looking at the clouds in the sky. Uh, what was my point? Uh, oh, you don't need to listen to this podcast. You could just kick back and kind of listen, just like our banjo, uh, like... Uh, a soliloquist uh is that someone that does soliloquies a soliloquist i, I don't think i've ever pronounced words uh i don't know what happened maybe what did it was the last thing i had a lifesaver i've never felt i don't know my tongue's never maybe i i, I don't know if i've been doing tongue exercises but it feels like that soliloquist uh it's soliloquist uh, for 400 alec uh oh there's no that's not a that's not a uh a topic okay um, so you don't need to listen to me, obviously. I mean, come on, let's, you know, my favorite banjo player at this moment is Emmett Otter. And you might say, what the heck is Emmett Otter? And I would say, well, you have, in this winter, you'll find something wonderful to discover. Uh, but so you don't need to listen to me. You're also under no pressure to fall asleep. I'll be here for about an hour to keep you company. And you can fall asleep and drift off at any time. I want to give you plenty of space uh, and plenty of companionship. Because for me, I couldn't fall asleep. And I would listen to Dr. Demento. And knowing that was there for me uh, to keep me company for a few hours, uh, it just loosened something inside me and gave me room to breathe and relax uh, despite the tossing and turning so you could drift off at any time, or if you can't sleep, I'll be here. I'll be here for an hour, or you could start looping the episodes or, uh, you know, making a playlist. And I think that's it. Like, oh, I mean, I've been there uh, even last night, uh, this week. I, had, I don't know what's been going on with me, but, uh, you know, I've been, I've been tossing and turning, uh, temp- temperature unregulating. My temperature regulation went off. I had had it down uh I think maybe the temperature outside changed. It was like so, for the Bay Area where I live, cold, which uh, is not cold at all for most of you. Uh, but we don't use our heat as much. Uh, so I had like, uh, let's see, I had my sheets. Uh, then I had my, uh, what do you call it, comforter with my nice duvet cover on there. Uh, then I had my blanket on top of my, uh, I have a blanket, a bl- not a blankie. This is a blanket. Uh, and then I had a weighted blanket that I was, I've been testing out. So I had all those layers, uh, and it was, and then I have a fan blasting, even though it's cold, they say, okay, let's keep it colder. And that was like two weeks, maybe that was last week or two weeks ago. 
And it made the perfect temperature where I needed all those layers to stay warm, but I wasn't too warm. And this week, no dice. Like last night, I was, I was trying to sleep. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't find the right combo. And what's my point? Like, my point is that whatever's keeping you awake, I really, truly believe you deserve a good night's sleep. I want you to be able to go out there and at least cope with the world. But I want more for you. I'd like you to flourish. Uh, I'd like you to have, uh, what is it, a more fati or whatever. You know, to be able to embrace life out there. And, uh, you know, spread the love around however you do it. And uh, this is how I do it is, is they say, well, I know what it's like. Uh, I might not know exactly what you're going through, but I feel for you truly. And uh, this is my way of helping. Now, it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, for a small percentage of listeners that don't listen after the first listen, you know, it, it's, it doesn't work for them. That's cool. Uh, but most regular listeners say, give it two or three tries. Uh, see what happens. Because uh, all I want to do is help. I appreciate you checking the show out and listening. And I work very hard uh, because I yearn and I strive to help you fall asleep. Uh, all right, uh, let's get this message of uh, how we keep the show going. And then let's get on with the show. All right, welcome to our serial, episodic, uh, modular story. Uh, but it doesn't have a title. It doesn't even have, it no longer even has a working title, but the story works at putting you to sleep. It's about a young woman, a young child, uh, and her journeys, uh, through both imagination and a theme park, uh, and to transition you to the story, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history of it's a small world from Wikipedia. A water-based dark ride located in the Fantasyland area of Walt Disney, some Walt Disney parks in uh, Disneyland, Magic Kingdom, uh, Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, and Hong Kong Disneyland. It has uh, over 300 audio animatronic children in traditional costumes from cultures around the world, frolicking in a spirit of international unity and singing the title song, which was the theme of go- which has a theme of global peace. It's the most performed song of all time, according to Time magazine. And just a little bit about the history. It was fabricated in Burbank at the Disney Studios as Children of the World, uh, created by Wed Enterprises and shipped to the 1964 New York World's Fair at the UNICEF Pavilion. Wow, when was the last World's Fair that uh, I'd like to go to a World's Fair? It was sponsored by a soda company, and uh, it was uh, that was featured at the entrance as a kinetic sculpture. Uh, the Tower of the Four Winds was a 120-foot uh, perpetually spinning mobile, or mobile, uh, created by Raleigh Crump, a web designer, and it was added to four attractions. Uh, does this have anything to do with the ride? I don't think it does. Uh, it was added to four attractions uh, already under development, which were used by Disney to sponsor, fund, and test concepts and ride systems uh, that would be moved, rebuilt at Disneyland in 1966. That's one shrewd dude, that Walter Elias. Uh, it took the sponsor a while to agree on what kind of traction they wanted, and 
they, uh, Joan Crawford got involved and said, hey, what about Walt Disney designing you an attraction? But there was a short lead time. And so according to Wikipedia, she insisted the board of directors uh, take his proposal. And uh, he was already designing attractions for the state of Illinois, uh, Ford, GM, and Kodak, uh, uh, other sponsors. Uh, they were all, they only had 11 month, months to create and build the pavilion. Uh, Mary Blair, uh, a wonderful artist, was responsible for the whimsical design and color styling. Uh, she had been an art director on the beautiful uh, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and uh, like many Disneyland attractions, his scenes and characters were designed by Mark Davis. Uh, Alice Davis uh, designed the costumes. Raleigh Crump designed the toys and other supplementary figures. Uh, Blaine Gibson did the dolls. Uh, Walt uh, helped with Blaine and Greg Mar- Marianello uh, uh, do the faces. And each doll's face is completely identical in shape. Uh, Aero development was involved in the design of the passenger boats and the propulsion system. They got two patents out of it, uh, and, you know, that helped out in making Disneyland. As far as the 1964 World's Fair goes, uh, that was the first incarnation of the ride, and it almost didn't happen, as we said. Uh, Disney was already busy with a bunch of other attractions, uh, but they had been working on a dancing doll. Uh, design, uh, which would become the foundation for audio animatronics like Ava Lincoln. And they uh, kind of like using robotics and stuff like that. They had a Circle Vision movie they were working on. And they said, hey, we want to do a tribute to UNICEF. Uh, and Disney seemed to, to be the showman to give the package they wanted. Uh, He's terrific. He's got his hands in more bowls than anyone I've ever seen, but he accomplishes what he sets out to do. That was J.G. Mullally, the World's Fair program director. Uh, and according to April, on April 22nd, 1964, the opening day, uh, this quote is from the guidebook to the uh, New York State Fair, New York's World's Fair. A salute to the children of the world, designed by Walt Disney, presents animated figures frolicking in miniature settings of many lands. Visitors are carried past the scenes in small boats. Uh, uh, they also, in an adjoining building, had other exhibits uh, from UNICEF. Above the pavilion rises a 120-foot tower of the four winds, a fanciful recreation of colored shapes that dance and twist in the breeze. Uh, the attraction was incredibly successful. Ten million sixty cent and ninety-five cent tickets for children and adults were sold in two and a half seasons, and the proceeds were donated to UNICEF. Uh, while other attractions had really long lines, there was always a seat available on Small World because it had a higher rider per hour capacity, which was a valuable innovation and incorporated in, in directly into future attractions like Pirates. Uh, uh, and uh, that's a, So that's a little bit about uh, It's a Small World, as you gently uh, ride a boat uh, and you drift along uh, in an artificial canal. So comforting, though. Uh, yes, it was a pleasure to meet you.
uh, and I didn't have my chance to introduce myself, my world of toys. Uh, you know, once upon a time before you came, I was a celebration of play around the world. And of all the advancements in toy technology and all the joy that advancements in toy technology brought to the children of the world. And also, in reality, my ride was uh, capturing the joy of the toys. That was what the song, uh, the toys sang, uh, uh, was that the joy the children brought to the toys. Though my attraction hasn't sung in ages. Maybe it'll never sing again. But that was the essential message, that it was uh, being played with. And again, they would make a movie about this in another way. Uh, But it was that the toys are happy when they're played with, and the children are happy when they're playing with the toys. Another thing you didn't get to see was all the sparkling. There were sparkles in almost every costume, in every uh, toy. And every surface uh, is sparkles, so I really sparkled once upon a time. And there was a lot of motion. Uh, I think they called it kinetic motion, uh, clocks and moving and flying and and dancing and singing and toys just tops us spinning. Uh, but there's just no more motion, as you saw. I wish you could have seen it. Uh, maybe you would have... Uh, Maybe you would have treated me differently than you did, because uh, now I have a different kind of motion, thanks to you. And yeah, I had my critics. There was lots of critics uh, of my attraction, but they really couldn't find their way around that catchy tune. You know, they would say that I was just an advertisement uh, uh, ride uh, to, to, to tell children to play with toys. But the founder uh, was very intelligent. For the ride was thick with nostalgia for almost anyone over the age of 10. They would remember the first toy they played with, and and they would even see themselves in some of the characters or relate to the characters uh, playing with their toys. And, and they would feel good about the toys, joy, the joy of the toys uh, being played with. And yes, there were those that constantly complained of the infectiousness of my song. And they would say it was over syrupy and over sugary. And if the ride got stuck, they would talk about its mindlessness. Uh, And even some of the workers would wear hidden earplugs uh, so they wouldn't run around singing the song for the rest of their lives. But for most people, the song just stuck in their head, a pleasant little tune about the world of toys and uh, going to Toy Town and about Playcorp, uh, the sponsor of my attraction. There were even those over the years that called my attraction propaganda and said, well, Playcorp also makes all of these other things uh, part of the, you know, the MI complex, uh, and, the, the, you know, the toys are a distraction. Uh, but really the only, like, uh, I don't even remember the song now. It's been so long. I, it might, they said it was so infectious, but now I can't even remember it. Uh, 
I do remember that they said when the village, when the world's a village, uh, all of the joy is in toys, and the toys are overjoyed with the global village or something like that. Uh, uh, but you arrived under my, well, my former current conditions. When you arrived, that was my current, I had current conditions. Now I have another set of current conditions. And neither or neither was the same as when I was at the World's Fair or when I was built here. Originally, it was a soda corp that, uh, and when the soda corp was purchased by Play Corp, uh, they sponsored Toy Town uh, here at the park. And if you were to separate my attraction, it would have been in three ways, uh, which I think is where things started for you. There was uh, the loading area and the beginning of the ride. And it was funny because the beginning of the ride welcomed the children and their guests uh, to the world of toys and a trip to Toy Town. Next stop, Toy Town. Uh, and there's even the Toy Town Express running alongside the boats uh, that the passengers would board in. Big, slow-moving boats. Uh, but the message was that, that the children could visit any time. They told you that at the beginning and the end. Any time you wanted to come to the world of toys, you just needed to close your eyes and pick up your toy and start to play. Uh, but when you first arrived uh, to my section, that wasn't what, you know, it had to children, uh, children boarding, boarding the Toy Town Express, uh, uh, then it moved on to the idea that children just closing their eyes and boarding the, you know, and that you could use your imagination to get to Toy Town. And the children, you know, they had started to sing at the beginning of my attraction and warming up to the song about the world, the toy world of toys, the joy in toys for the world or whatever the song was. I don't remember it. Like I said, uh, but and the outside of that was all outside, and then it went through doors. Uh, but those doors had been sealed long ago. So when you first got to the loading area, you didn't see any children, really any toys, uh, because uh, the the children were. Uh, you just saw these rusted uh, former uh, exos, I guess of. Uh, uh, the metal superstructures uh, from the Tronics, uh, which were also rusted. So they made strange, uh, they look like otherworldly beings almost, uh, or a bit like the steam steam workers uh, from uh, Curly Sioux. And most of the environment, uh, the rolling hills and the tunnel that lead it in, led into Toy Town, all that had kind of melted and turned gray and black, and uh, it looked desolate a bit. Uh, and I think you kind of thought that the beings were bringing the desolation, and uh, you didn't like it. Who would like it? It looked, uh, it wasn't an no way to enter an attraction with uh, rusted kind of stick figures uh, that didn't even move anymore. And you tried to get the doors open uh, so you could get into the main attraction. And you could kind of see through the little window. And it, it, you know, it looks like a utopia compared to the outside. 
but it was sealed pretty tight uh, uh, because they closed this ride earlier than the rest because it was considered a piece of history uh, at the time, a working piece of history, a landmark, and it needed to be protected uh, for historical purposes. And again, there was debates, and I guess the outside of the ride was added on in like the 80s or the 70s. Uh, so they said it wasn't the same. It didn't have the historical preservation needs as the inside of the ride did. The inside of the ride was worked on by the founder, they would say in a breathless voice. And I, you know, I see attraction. If I had had a vote, I would have said, preserve all of me. Holy mackerel. But you tried to get in and you couldn't. So then you headed back and you went in through the back. Uh, and the end of the ride was also outside or partially covered the unloading area. And that was a moment when the ride, me, the attraction, and the children of the world, we were encouraging them to go out into the world of toys, bring Toy Town home, hint, hint, uh, guests, uh, bring a piece of Toy Town home, or if your guests are cheap, we didn't say this, uh, bring the spirit of Toy Town home, spend some time in the world of toys every day, because uh, you visited and now you've seen the power of play and the joy of toys. You know, and then we'd say to the guests, empower your children, empower their imagination. This was all the song. Your children were singing it. Uh, we also had light up signs. Uh, you say, who doesn't want to empower a child with play? Who doesn't want to evoke uh, the spirit of joy? I don't even know if that's really a saying. I've been contemplating that over the years. Uh, uh, and maybe your guests would want to experience the joy of toys, too. Thank you for visiting Toy Town. Uh, but this was not the close of the ride that you saw, not the ending you experienced. Uh, again, it was more rusty exos, uh, stick figures, I guess, uh, stick robots, uh, and they seem to all have their hands up. Uh, even in their deteriorated state, they seem to be celebrating something, some sort of victory, it seemed, uh, that they were victorious over the guests, uh, the parents, uh, and the grandparents. Uh, they say, hey, let's get some toys. Uh, let's spend some toys. You know, the exits end in a gift shop. Take some toys with you. And it was interesting how my boarding area was outside, but it went inside to a toy shop that was also uh, had historical elements. So that was preserved and locked up tight. And you looked in there, but it didn't quite capture your attention because you had looked in enough gift shops already in your time here at the park. Uh, so you looked it backwards again through another set of sealed doors uh, at the ride at the inside of my attraction, and then you were determined to get inside. The colors were so much brighter uh, than the worn, uh, deteriorated state on the outside. And you sit to it for a while. You uh, tried finding other ways in, but they had really sealed up the exit so well. And uh, like some of the other attractions, uh, really with solar energy, uh, solar power panels, uh, 
you know, created a venting and a dehumidification system. Yeah, well, you would see when you got inside. And you worked on the doors uh, towards uh, to the entrance of the ride at first. And then it all hit you, uh, the canal and the few boats that were sitting in the bottom of the canal. And it had been a while you'd been at the park, so you uh, had restored some of the water uh, that was stored up on the hills and the uh, uh, the water that was gathered from the rain kept up high. You know, that was to be used only in situations when they needed it and to stable, increase water pressure for the guests. Uh, but after it had been rainy for a while, all of those uh, uh, were filled and there was even a couple uh, reservoirs under inside the hills that you couldn't see. So you, uh, it, it was, you know, brownish water, like a bit of a creek, but you started to fill the canal and you let the water pressure help you against the doors. And I said, how did she learn that? How did she know that the strength of the water, the weight of the water? And, of course, it worked with with you doing some, uh, what do you call, like wedging and hammering and, and that uh, between the weight of the water, because the doors were watertight, uh, yeah, but they weren't water weight tight. They were to keep rain out. Uh, so eventually the doors broke and then you filled the canal and you didn't bother with the exit doors. You just uh, tied a rope to them so you could pull yourself through on a boat because uh, the propulsion, you know, it was a little, you didn't, you said, why bother with that? Uh, one of these boats uh, were empty. It's pretty easy to move. And then there was only four boats in there. So to get to the end, you had to jump boat to boat. But what you saw inside, it was a bit dusty. It wasn't, you know, they said, they, because my attraction was already much older than a lot of the newer ones, uh, it was still gloomy inside. And the solar power was only to light the, uh, not to light the attraction lights. It was two separate electrical systems. It was to light the work lights, which weren't exactly flattering for, uh, for all the parts of my attraction. My sound system was no longer operational and the motions weren't operating. I said, how are you preserving history? Now I'm just a collection of scenes, uh, but you looked through the cartoon versions of the children, only a few feet high and round heads, uh, children of the world, in the world of toys, and uh, how the ride started out with the historical, you know, imaginary historical history of toys uh, from ancient times. Uh, I don't think it was based on I think that was another criticism they said uh, Neanderthal children didn't play with sticks and rocks. Uh, and I said, let me see your proof. Uh, I mean, that's what I would have said if I could defend myself. Uh, and I said, well, maybe I have some resentment towards the founder. Uh, but am I a ride of, of fiction or a ride of imagination? You're telling me that Neanderthal children didn't have an imagination. Uh, but I guess none of it mattered uh, because you were immersed at first. And then there was Woodville. 
Next stop, Woodville, a big room full of wooden toys. As if there was only one era of wooden toys. But there was a peak, I guess you'd call it peak wooden toys in Woodville. You know, wooden ducks on string and wooden boats and blocks uh, glued together, which you uh, uh, you tried to break them apart, but the glue was stronger than the wood. And also it was a plastic composite, not wood. It looked like wood. Uh, plenty of other wooden toys and this, uh, building things and and things to play with. Even a little wooden bowling set. Uh, again, glued though. And since none of the motion worked, it was all kind of dull. You know, I think the duck was the only thing you got working because it would waddle its little feet. And oh, there was a propeller you could spin in one of the pl- wooden planes. And next was Tin Town, uh, full of tin toys. And I said it was at only one era. Was that before? But, I, you know, that's, uh, but you went in and it was a smaller room. I guess the wood toys had a grander history than Tin Town. In to- within Toy Town was Tin Town. Yeah, but you, you, you know, the, the tin toys, I think you avoided them for the most part because they did seem like, uh, he said, well, you could get a scratch on here. And even though the rooms were sealed, uh, the t- they did use some real tin. And even though it had very glossy paint, uh, some of the paint had deteriorated and there was some rust on those tin toys. But they still looked fun, those tin toys. Then it was off to Doll Island, which was actually a collection in a giant room of uh, interconnected islands. Uh, I don't know why I'm criticizing myself to say Doll Archipelago, but I think I've read so many articles about me. But Doll Island was a place where doll, you know, dolls lived in Toy Town in the world of toys waiting for you to come. And there was usually children dancing and dolls dancing. Yeah, but because there was no motion... Again, it just looked like, uh, what are these children doing just holding a doll? And, you know, you did have some, you know, Serena the Swan was someone you still carried with you. And we'll talk about your other play. So this did catch your curiosity. But this was the first room where you started to notice the eyes of the children and the eyes of the toys. uh, And you looked at them questioning and then you headed to pretend to place. Uh, it was supposed to be based on dress up and kitchens and, uh, you know, cool in it, you know, different pretending you were already working adults. Uh, so that was, you don't know if that was as easy to communicate as uh, it just looked like a bunch of small scenes uh, in a small city. Uh, but it was very, when when the lights were the right way, it was visually striking in the glitter. Again, you say, what cities have glitter everywhere? Well, uh, a play place does, a pretend place. Uh, and that segued right through a subway tunnel, you know, that was giant for the boats to go through, into Action City. Uh, which had more action-based toys, or you could say more dolls that boys may have been played with, but anyone could play with them. 
And that was all about the action of comic books uh, and those kind of things and movies and TV shows and heroism uh, bought and sold, especially. And then, of course, uh, you know, Play Corp did it to try to. They said, well, we have to show our, you know, that, uh, like, uh, the toys we make, uh, like uh, Army Ben and things. Uh, that's where some action is. And those were popular toys to play with. Uh, so there was children playing with all those toys. Uh, and you said you just looked at it like uh, more dolls uh, with more, you know, the thing was the, the, there was real toys in there and, and bigger toys. Uh, and the plastic held up well. So then you could see, well, these are more movable. These have uh, articulating elbows and knees and in some cases ankles and forearms and hands. So you found that interesting. Uh, then you headed into the forest, uh, to fu- furry, fuzzy friend forest, uh, where everywhere, and you saw Serena the Swan there, an adult version of her, not the uh, swaddling version you carried along at your side. And that one didn't fare, fare as well either. Now, these were supposed to be plush figures, but they were stuffed uh and they had, uh, ex, you know, internal uh, makeup uh, of metal. So they weren't as soft as the Serena the Swan you were used to. They were kind of hard. And they looked like they were soft and furry and fuzzy because uh, they were supposed to be evocative of those things. And the children played with them. Uh, but because everything was static, it, it was, again, you say, well, why are you standing next to a koala that is so cute? And again, because these were larger-than-life uh, toys, again, you looked at their eyes, and in the eyes of the children, you saw a bit of a fervor about playing with toys. Uh, uh, they were overjoyed, uh, the joy of the toys. When, they, when there's no movement, uh, you could focus on the eyes more. And I don't know if it was... Well, I do know they overdilated the pupils, uh, to show that, the, you know, and I say, this is, again, there was a paper written, written on this uh, that I read how this was done intentionally to show how, to show fervor for toys. And possibly, this treaty said, uh, uh, to create a sympathetic vibration of the children. Uh, and I don't know if that was true, uh, but... Uh, you know, it did, and it said, well, is this going to affect the parents? And guests used to joke about it. They'd had this sense uh, in this room. And if you looked, uh, as this person did, with a high, they said, uh, at each part of the ride, the pupils become more and more dilated. And the eyebrows and the angle of the eyebrows and the forehead and the shape of the mouth uh, uh, becomes more and more... Uh, like the children are praising the toys in some way. So this was the first uh, taste of that. Uh, and uh, it didn't sit right with you. The ride, never, I never, you never felt comfortable inside of me. And I th- again, I think if you had at least been introduced properly, but the fact that it was these strange, rusty uh, things on the outside... 
made you suspicious of what was happening? Like, had something happened? Like, the world that, like, uh, you existed in, or that you were slowly becoming aware of outside of the park, uh, uh, I think you drew too many uh, parallels. Uh, then there was Movie Town and Dance Land and Musical Musicville, which were all in the same room, and just kind of showed children passively consuming those things and getting joy from it. Uh, the movies and music and dance. Uh, uh, I guess you don't passively enjoy dance, uh, but there was a, you know those dancing uh, fuzzy friends. And then there was the final parts of the ride where you were going to be cast uh, after Movie Land. They said, uh, haven't you ever wished you would be uh, the, the star of a movie, the hero or the heroine? Uh, and then it was the world of games. Now you truly can with technology. And the founder, even back at, like... Uh, before there was video games, uh, the founder knew they were coming, and you were digitized. Uh, none of these lighting effects were working, but you went through a di- tunnel that digitized you and told you you were now part of the toys. You were in the world of toys, uh, a central character in the game. And then there was a brief history of video games, uh, and giant, giant pupils uh, of children playing the initial games and the, the systems and all the way into the interactive uh, past, a recent past or somewhat recent past. And uh, kids playing them, uh, but inside of them, but just strange juxtaposition for you because you didn't know, uh, you know, that... Uh, what is piloting a spaceship in a game was like, uh, or flying as a heroine with, uh, uh, superpowers was, was like, so again, you just found something off about those rooms and that was the height of the, the ride. Uh, uh it was part of the, you know, that was the ride, that part of the ride. I think it, it was, it was changed, you know, and added on. I don't remember now. Maybe it was playing with, it used to be playing with your family land or play outside land. I can't remember anymore. But it built the fervor in the joy of being a part of the toys. Uh, and uh, you kind of said, well, all these rides use your imagination. And one thing is the colors really held up because this was a newer part. Uh, they were very bright. Uh, and if the black lights had worked, you would have seen it was even wilder. But again, it just seemed like uh, that uh, something it, uh, the children were under some hypnotic spell, I guess. I might as well say it. Uh, under the influence of propaganda. I think that was uh, Toy Town. Children, that was one of the uh, reports on my attraction at Toy Town. Children under the influence of propaganda. Uh, be careful what you wish for. I can't, you know, everyone had a, a fact-based opinion, about, or a science-based opinion about me. Uh, but you you seemed, as I watched you more, uh, to be fixated on uh, 
how uh, not just that the children were enthralled with the toys, but that they weren't productive, uh, that they didn't seem to do. They were totally immersed in Toy Town instead of uh, having their day broken up into work and play and studying. Uh, there was no structure and that they were oblivious uh, to the beginning and the end of the ride, uh, that they seemed to be under some spell, which I guess makes sense uh, when I look at it from your perspective, seeing the current condition, uh, which for some reason you believed was part of the design of the ride. Uh, it could have been more like a dream, uh, and that the children were just gleefully playing along. And I noticed you tried to sleep in the ride, and you couldn't get any sleep. Uh, eventually, you started covering the heads of all the children, especially the more dilated pupil ones. And then you got even more irritable, and you started uh, taking out the toys that you could, ripping them from the children's hands, which when they were part of them. But when you set to do something, you do it, so you slowly... Uh, remove you just threw everything in the canal, which I thought was very uh, interesting. As, as since I'm a histor- I said, well, I hope uh, historical preservationists don't find out about this. Uh, they don't think that exists anymore. But uh, he ripped all the toys out. He threw them all: tin toys, wooden toys, digital toys. You uh, threw it all in the canal, even the ones you had to saw off. You got rid of, uh, and then you got into the toy shop and you got, you threw a lot of those toys from the toy shop into the canal and just around the park. Uh, but then you came back, uh, you weren't about to give up on the, even though you covered the eyes of most of the children or almost all of them, you came back uh, to Doll Island and Action City and you started to play next to the children. You play because you are, had already created your own families with different dolls and characters and people caring for Serena Swan, uh, a global village around Serena Swan. You had your play where you acted out things, and I don't know if the ride reminded you that that was play. And maybe there was something there in your displeasure with those children having those things you did not have, uh, a global village around them, while poor Serena Swan, you know, in some of your places she would uh, just swim by herself and you would talk to her and sing to her. Uh, But then you also showed the children, because I didn't understand there was no building or art. I mean, I mean, I guess... uh, when I contemplated my own existence, I said, why aren't there children drawing? Or there was wooden blocks in a corner. Why aren't there children building uh, with tin or building with wood or building with plastics? Uh, but you brought those toys in. You drew next to the children and you would hum some of the songs you had heard in other parts of the park. You would play alongside... Uh, you would build things and show the other children. You would you, sometimes you would remove. Uh, you would see, but then you saw their eyes. You'd say, "No, that's too strange." Uh, perfectly round head and eyes too wide. 
that you would sing to the children. You even started reading to them. And then an idea struck you. You know, you had encountered all the cats, uh, uh, the feral cats, as they were once called. Uh, now many generations past, uh, they lived in one section of the park. And you had played with the cats. Uh, they were aware of your existence, and you seemed to have established uh, a level of respect. And you would play hide-and-seek with some of the cats that were more curious about you. And slowly, you started to use uh, uh, food to get the cats uh, uh, to slowly move into my... Now, this is where I would take exception, uh, except the cats, even the cats in the park, uh, they do have some respect for their territory, not like dogs. Uh, so you lured the cats in... And you actually drained the canal because you knew the cats didn't like water. And you closed the doors most of the way so only you and the cats could get through. And just slowly the cats moved in, a large portion of them, and they, they kind of liked it because uh, the structure was not drafty and it was very climate-controlled, as climate-controlled as could be in this time. You never, even though the environment was so hospitable, you didn't, you never, it never took to it because of the strangeness of the children and and the juxtaposition of the beginning and the end of the ride. But the cats moved in and you would go there and play with the cats. Uh, but what really got your attention in the end was the giant clock tower, uh, 14 stories that rose above the ride. And at first it didn't really seem to interest you, but then you climbed it one day all the way to the top uh, where there was room. Uh, no guests were ever allowed there, uh, but there was room up there for working on the clocks, and you could see out in all four directions all the way to the horizon, miles and miles away. And I realized this was probably the first time you'd seen outside of the park uh, and you would go up there for hours at a time, and you you had seen the sun set in some sense, but you had never seen it uh, set on a distant horizon. So you would watch the sunset, you would watch the sun rise, but you would look around, uh, staring out at the horizon, looking looking for something. I think you were looking for that global village to be coming to you, or another village, or something. Uh, but the times you checked, uh, and then you realized after it's rained on you a few times that it wasn't exactly comfortable up there unless the weather was, you know, middle when it was too warm or too chill. So then in your brilliance, uh, you realized there was already cameras up there, but they weren't working. And you found a way and you strung together wire that you gathered from the park and ran it down to the, to, to the solar power. And you got those cameras. That took a long time. I said, I don't even know if she knows what she's doing, but you seem to know. I don't know if they were symbolic or if you really got the camera, because you would still go out there every once in a while and just stare. 
out at the horizon, waiting, waiting for something, holding Serena Swan, and looking down at the world, at Toy Town, at the world of toys. Uh, you, you look down on me with disdain, uh, but I guess I can understand it, uh, but not like the guests. I guess there was a different disdain from the guests that said, well, this is right, it's just a... Uh, but, uh, you know, the guests said, uh, sat back and enjoyed it uh, and let their pupils dilate and let the song infect them, let their foot tap along with the tune I no longer even remember that saw the bright colors and the constant motion that suspended their disbelief and said, well, this is just a world of toys here. It's not a propaganda to get me to buy toys or to even use my imagination other than now in the steady motion of the boats uh, and the song and the planes on strings uh, flying one way and the ducks on strings waddling another way, the windmills spinning, the kick of the children dancing, the clock faces turning, the the, the 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 tower bells ringing. It all made for something the guests could really enjoy as they slowly moved along in their boat at a languid pace, uh, smiling and enthralled, enthralled in an immersive uh, attraction that was titillating them and so many, and then for the adults, uh, hearkening back to when they were a child. And maybe, just maybe, I, I guess because there wasn't a part of you that could experience this, that maybe there was a world of toys out there, a toy town with uh, uh, places you could visit. Uh, uh, maybe it was an imaginary, uh, that there was a possibility and that drove some of the feeling in the ride, too. And the nice thing about it is you never really moved on from me. You'd come back and you'd check on the cats and and you'd go up in the clock tower and check the sunset or the sunrise and look for, I don't know, smoke on the horizon, motion on the horizon, people on the horizon, uh... And I guess uh, there was no toys on your horizon. And sometimes you'd, uh, you never, once the cats moved in, you didn't really sleep here. But uh, uh, I, I would be full of purring some nights, uh, of sweet purring cats. Uh, and I would uh, sleep to that. Uh, good night.